We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your True Faith Newcastle United podcast. I'm Charlotte Robson, joined today by Alex Hurst and special guest George Culkin to talk you through what is a very exciting week for Newcastle fans and we hope fans of football in general. Um, It is the run-up to Sir Bobby Robson's, what would have been Sir Bobby Robson's 90th birthday and there is a lot planned around the club. George, do you want to talk us through a little bit about Bobby 90? Thank you, yeah. Um, Bobby 90, well, so I love that idea, firstly. Um, There's an apostrophe there. Bobby apostrophe 90. I can't tell you how much I love that apostrophe <laughs> because it it echoes Italian 90 and um, obviously Bobby was England manager back then and, you know, that incredible tournament that changed the face of football in this country, Gaza's tears, all the rest of it. And, yeah, so Bobby 90. Um, and the other thing I love about it is that it's a collaboration um, between some incredibly lovely and talented people um, who I'm couple of them who I'm with at the moment he means us I do um and really yeah what I wanted to do was find a way that was different to celebrate uh, what would have been his 90th birthday make it spectacular and gorgeous and interesting and actually the idea came about the original idea was to maybe try and put a gig on a musical event and um that didn't work out for for various reasons but yeah this lives on and so I'm very, very proud to say it's a collaboration between The Athletic, True Faith, War Flags. We'll see more of that at the weekend. I'm incredibly excited um, uh, about that. Can't wait for you all to see it. Um, and, yeah, so there's, there's, there's lots of strings to it. And, of course, you know, ultimately we want to amplify and highlight the great work of the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, which, um, which does brilliant work here in the Northeast. Uh, through the NHS to, to to raise funds for anti anti cancer projects, but yeah, that's the idea. Um, the the f- starting point of it was the fact that I wrote or helped Bobby write his last book, which was about Newcastle, the club and the city. Uh, very very kind of emotional and difficult project back then because Bobby was um, you know Bobby wasn't well, but I I love being part of it. I've kept all those recordings, never listened back to it because it felt too personal and kind of painful and but I thought how amazing would it be to um you know to listen again and possibly publish them spoke to Bobby's family got the go ahead and and so yeah so the so the Bobby 90 effectively 
um, kind of starts out with this podcast series, which you can listen to uh, via The Athletic, and it's Bobby's voice really narrating his own life story. Um, it's very emotional. I know you're going to play some clips of that a bit later. Really, really excited. Um, yeah, and so that's how it started. But written pieces on The Athletic, the thing that really I guess we're mostly going to talk about tonight, and I'm so grateful to the pair of you, Alex, you've written something very special, but Charlotte... Um, has edited a special fanzine, which is going to go on sale. It will be on sale It'll by the time you're now. listening to this. Great. Link, on, in the, link in the description. Link in the description. It'll be on sale by the time I finish this sentence, probably. <laughs> yeah. um, and Char- I'm just, I'm so grateful to you, Charlotte. You've done an amazing job. Um, and I don't say this lightly, but I know that um, I know that Bobby would be really, really proud and um, very happy. And so thank you for everything you've done and now let's talk about it sort of feels like that's the end doesn't it like (laughs) you are welcome full stop the end of the podcast but no we've got plenty more to chat about thank you george for giving a bit of an explanation there about what the project is what's involved and what people can look forward to this weekend against liverpool um yeah we are going to talk a bit more about the fanzine because um the fanzine's been a real education for me i knew about bobby's life of course from reading autobiographies and all sorts of you know you you absorb snippets being a Newcastle fan of of all kinds of parts of his life but what we wanted to do with the fanzine was um sort of get a good uh view of his life you know we don't have anything in there about Bobby the player but we've got tons of Bobby the manager not just at Newcastle but at Ipswich at PSV at Barcelona and and what he meant to kind of these different factions of fans and we'll talk a little bit like that about that in the second half of the show but Alex wrote a really a really great piece that I think is a is a good sort of jump off point for some discussion around this um Alex do you want to talk us through your piece um it, it is so Bobby Robson made Newcastle United as the title of it it's a, it's a massive club yeah it's a fantastic football club I mean Saturday afternoon you roll out there you look around you think Jesus Christ yeah, you know, hope we win today yeah. for this lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, magnificent club. Yeah, and it's a it's a really nice opportunity, isn't it, to celebrate Sir Bobby Robson? Not just because it, you know this week would have been his ninetieth birthday, but also because the club once again resembles the kind of club that he left us as fans and the people that took o- you know over after him. And Charlotte and I are the same age, George. I'm shocked you there. Charlotte looks much younger, <laughs> but. You know, fans of our generation, kind of mid thirties, late twenties, um, who missed out on the Kevin Keegan era, or at least missed out on witnessing it, remembering it, feeling it. So Bobby Robson was was kind of the the first reference point that we had to Newcastle United, and the only reference point we've had to Newcastle United not being absolutely fucking mental. <laughs> and 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 to be fair, and you you know this much more, George, and I'm sure you could tell some stories or have done. Um, it was mental when he was here as well. It wasn't oh, yeah. like oh yeah, it wasn't like this kind of serene, well run. Um, you know, beautiful football club, but but the the key thing for me, then the thing that I wanted to write about was how important his little spell was, and and what's so nice, by the way, about Bobby ninety and the whole um, relationship that people of the northeast, but in particular Newcastle United fans, have about Bobby Robson is once again he didn't win anything. Yeah, there was some there was some nice European nights and there was some good wins, but he didn't win anything. Uh, he wasn't here that long, really. Um, you know, kind of long spell now for a Premier League manager in this era. But back then, it wasn't particularly long. You know, this wasn't Ferguson at Man United. It wasn't all of these guys who were at clubs for years. It was just a really kind of special um, four to five year period where a lot went right. And that four to five year period is probably really important to a lot of people in defining what Newcastle United actually was was supposed to be. 
what it was supposed to look like because he inherited a mess. Mm-hmm. He inherited a, a squad built by three previous managers going back to Kevin Keegan, a team bottom of the league that hadn't won all season. Uh, and with 18 months, Newcastle, one of the best sides in, in the Premier League and beyond that, one of the best sides in Europe. And So many parallels, aren't there? Yeah. The listening will be. Yeah, exactly. And the the thing that, that that I that I really wanted to get across and I'm interested to hear your view on as well of course both of you is how that version of Newcastle United just became the benchmark that we all thought back to. So it wasn't you know it wasn't the Keegan era which was a miracle. I don't I don't think any Newcastle United fan or certainly no one I know during the dark days of Mike Ashley, whether that's in the noughties or the, the you know the twenty tens or whenever it was, thought this club should be like that. It should be Alan Shearer, it should be Celeste Ferdinand, it should be um, top of the league by 15 points. I think Newcastle fans generally know that was a right man, right time, everything in the universe combined to create this beautiful thing. What you got from Sir Bobby Robson and his side was just a real hard work, kind of basic talent from him, from the leaders that he inherited, but also extended their careers. Shea Given, mm. Gary Speed, Alan Shearer being the, the, the key ones, but there were others as well. And it was it's just what Newcastle United is even now I look back to his side and his tenure at the club that is Newcastle United for me more than the sum of its parts hard-working honest trustworthy and by that I mean if we were shit Bobby Robson would come out in an interview <laughs> he, no manager very few managers Eddie Howe doesn't really do it now yeah Newcastle were rubbish on Saturday at Bournemouth realistically they were, they were rubbish but Eddie Howe for, for reasons I understand why he comes out he protects the place he didn't get that from Spoggy Robson <laughs> he would just say how it was and fans appreciated that and there was a real kind of um, just like hard nasty bastard side to his team without crossing a line they were hard to play against it was never an easy game against Boy Robson's Newcastle United and this is a guy who hardly spent any money yeah. There was two two of the seasons he was here, he actually made a profit in the transfer yeah. firm market. The other two seasons he, he managed to spend very well and very wisely and they spent some money. But in terms of, you know, Newcastle, I think his total highest net transfer spend in a single season was 0102 when he spent 30 million quid. Even this was an era when Man United was signing players for 30 million pounds in one yeah. player. So to rub shoulders with the kind of teams that we did for a long time was was absolutely because of his genius and his ability. And it kind of went unspoken about it. it. Even to this day, people associate Newcastle being good under some Bobby Robson. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for, for what he actually did. So that was the motivation anyway, Charlotte, for my piece. Well, thank you. Thank you for talking us through it. It is a wonderful piece. It is in the fanzine. Please do consider buying one. All proceeds go to the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. And um, this isn't just a promo piece, I promise, for the fanzine, although I... No, we we do, we do need you to buy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do <laughs> want you to buy it. A lot it. of my time on it, oh, so I'm really grateful if you could buy a copy. Um, it is a collector's edition. It's a really beautiful piece of um piece of art, if nothing else. Um, but it also contains great writing. Thank you, Alex. And they, you know they've got they, you know they wear the heart on the sleeve, don't they? Yeah. They love the club. They they they, they appear, come rain, shine, blow, snow, don't they? Yeah. And they're just magnificent people that, that, that you work for. And you just hope you can get them some great results to give them a, a great weekend. Yeah. And they love the club. Yeah. Uh, there's a passion here that is not very seen uh, in many of the clubs, is it? I think it's really interesting what you're saying about sort of this some more than the sum of its parts because 
the parallels that we've got now and the, the youth that are the youth that are supporting Newcastle now are probably getting that similar sort of feeling that we got when Sir Bobby was in charge. But George, I know you were very keen to jump in there, so let me bring you in. Yeah, so I mean I've done a I've done a podcast with with you with Mark with Mark about sort of uh 92, 93 and the parallel that I kind of feel between now and then, you know, that idea of Newcastle being taken over, being dragged up from the bottom of albeit a different league and um you know with a new manager and new players and this feeling of lightheadedness and excitement around the club i do think that parallel is there i hadn't quite thought about it in the bobby in the bobby way except that i read your piece and then i've done something for the athletic as well and what i've what i wanted to kind of write about was that sense of bobby's not just legacy but how he still lingers at the club and what relevance he has and i asked that very you know that, that very point you made he was there for five years didn't win anything so why is there a statue why is why is his face absolutely all the way around the stadium why are his quotes there now part of that is because of what happened towards the end of his life and setting up the foundation there is that sense of him being more than a manager and that's true but the interesting thing i thought was i spoke to people like um, Steve Harper, who's now um, you know head of the academy, to Shola, who is the loan manager, to Neil Stoker, who's on the kit staff, and who Bobby Robson uh, get, get, gave a full time job to, and they all they all made the parallel between now and then, and there were two things based around that. It was the fact that Bobby brought unity back to the club, and you know, for for for, for some of us. That did come quite soon after Keegan. So we'd seen that. We'd seen Newcastle in Europe. We'd seen Newcastle challenging. But the club, you forget how much the club was riven when he took over. It was a civil war in the dressing room. Alan Shearer was about to leave. If Hullet had stayed on, mm. Shearer would have left. No doubt about that. He says that himself. The club was spit, split Rob Lee out of the team. And there was no money. All the money had gone. And he came in and, yeah, so... He brought this very, very powerful unity back to the club, unified from top to bottom. Suddenly you had, you know, all those little chain of, chain of command working again and you had the fan base back on board. How did he do it? Hard work. Not money, hard work. Now, Eddie Howe has had money and so it's happened quicker, but the most powerful thing about it is that sense of unity. Now, Shola talks about this. Howe is on the training ground. He wants to be on the pitch. He wants to be with the players. That's Bobby. That's Bobby all over. Um, and you know that sense of wanting to to develop players. What's the story being put post takeover? Ignore the money. The money is not irrelevant, but ignore it. It's he, Eddie Howe has made players better. That was mm. what Bobby loved. He wanted to make players better at Ipswich. He developed a youth team. Um, you know, didn't spend money on players, bought a handful of players, and that was what it was all about. And so those, those parallels are very, very strong. And I was ch so chuffed to hear. I mean, so his legacy lives on in the f through people. But it's, the, you know, the really powerful thing about what's happening now is that it, it's the first time it's been like this since Bobby. And fingers crossed, we're not too far away from, from Europe again and those other special memories. Yeah, you don't have to cross your fingers. It's a cert. It's a cert. <laughs> we're definitely not far away from Europe. It's all very exciting. It is. It's just it's just a lush time to be a fan of the club. And it does hark back to those happy memories. I think unity is the really important piece there for me. Um, and, and is sort of what we'll talk about in the second half of the show. We will take a break now. It feels like a good time. You will hear some messages from our sponsors. If you don't want to, we are on Patreon. It's three to eight pounds a month. Um, 
for loads of extra Newcastle United content. You will also have heard and will continue to hear little excerpts, which The Athletic have been so kind to uh, l- let us use, of Sir Bobby speaking. It's a just such a special thing for us to be able to put those those into the podcast. So thank you, George, and thank you to The Athletic for those. We will be back after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Part two of the show and unity is mentioned there. Hard work and unity. Um, Hard work the fanzine has been very hard work but the thing <laughs> about it that i like that the, the thing about that has struck me so much and i keep trying to articulate it is how is how sir bobby robson sort of transcends any kind of geographical barrier um you know we have a bitter bitter rivalry well you, you can you call it a rivalry anymore hey <laughs> with sunderland um it typically you we would never work with with a Sunderland fanzine. Um, but when I reached out to somebody from A Love Supreme, the, the, uh, it was a yes. Uh, of course we'll write something about Sir Bobby. So it, it was so important to the region, so important. Uh, I'm so honoured that you've asked me. I got that a couple of times. So honoured that you've asked me to write something for this. And they've written something about when Bobby was Porto manager and brought um, Gordon Armstrong over for it. Uh, not Gordon. Brought <laughs> the other Porto. way around. Mm, I might edit that. <laughs> They've written something about uh, bringing uh, Porto over for Gordon Armstrong's testimonial. Um, I asked somebody from Fly Me to the Moon, a Borough fanzine, a- another immediate yes. This this person, Rob, he he's done loads of work for the for the foundation and, and raising money. And I just I, I suppose being a myopic Newcastle United fan, I thought. I'd, I'd never really actually given any thought to the way that um, the way that Sir Bobby sort of transcends this just north, just Newcastle thing. It's it's not. It's the whole of the northeast. Somebody wrote something for Ipswich. Um, oh, Alex wants to come in. Go on. I was going to come in after you. Sorry to interrupt. But I, was, I, I, was, I thought <laughs> you needed my attention. No, sorry. I just wanted to say to develop that point a little bit. There are there are two interesting things for me. Number one, Bobby Robson finished his managerial career. Um, and a lot of his peers and even understudies at the time in terms of the way they conducted themselves with other managers and other football clubs could not have been more different. If you look at Arsene Wenger v. Alex Ferguson, could you imagine Bobby Robson letting one of his teams go on like that or show such indiscipline on and off the pitch? Jose Mourinho versus everyone. These were people that looked up to Bobby Robson, mm. but George knows him 
you know, better than anyone, I suppose, certainly in this room. There's just a kind of class about the guy that that he never let emotion get the better of himself in those professional contexts. And in terms of those rivalries with those football clubs, he never crossed a line talking about something in Middlesbrough. I seem to remember, and I was young at the time, whenever we played one of these teams, teams he talked them up. He talked up their air. He talked up about. He talked up the northeast, their fan base, how passionate they were. Such a gen. You have to be genuine to get away with it. You can't bullshit your way through stuff like that. Both sets of fans have to know that you mean what you say and you have the experience to, to to back that up. And I think when we, just from a Newcastle perspective, when we played those teams, he was buzzing when we beat Sunderland, particularly at the stadium. Like there's a famous post-match interview clip where the away fans are kept in the ground and he, he can't keep the smile off his face. So it wasn't a lack of desire to to beat these teams, but there was a deep-rooted respect that came from when we played them, not just about them as football clubs, but about the people that supported them. And then, you know, from my perspective, and I have less perspective than maybe you, George, or other people, that's what appeals so much to those fan bases that they, they knew that that respect was was real and, and, and based on his kind of experience growing mm-hmm. up in this region. Yeah, I mean, I think there were a few, kind of a few... Yeah, I mean, he came from a split village in County Durham. He's a County Durham man. He's not a Geordie. I think that played played uh, played a big part of it. But I, I think because of what happened with England... He had eight years with England. That belonged to everybody, you know. Particularly by the end, it was so powerful, so emotive. Um, yeah, he was he was a fierce Newcastle United fan. But you know, his his early background in management, he had a chairman at Ipswich, John Cobbled, who would say to him if they lost, he said, "Bobby, it, it wasn't our turn to lose today, and by losing, we've given the other team the enjoyment of winning." I mean, he would tell that story and as if that as if cobbled was mad but <laughs> that stayed with him i mean that scent stayed with him and i vividly recall him being angry with wenger for the way he responded to to bad to bad results you've got to learn how to lose and i think you know by that point of his career towards the end you know it is about it you know you know you're going to lose sometimes you can't win every game and it's just about you know being a good person is about how you respond to those to those kind of moments and it, it is fascinating and you know doing doing the fanzine and being involved in the fanzine has has been that remem- uh, has has brought that very sharp reminder about how he belonged to everybody and Sunderland fans sang his name when he when he died yeah i was going to say that's in the Sunderland piece this um it opens with it, there's only one bobby robson 2009 load of Sunderland fans singing that it was yeah. was it the day after yeah yeah it was, yeah. The, they, was, the, it was the next friend you know they, yes right. i think it was yeah and um, and the other thing, Bobby Bobby talks about this in the in the recordings. He talks about going to watch Sunderland play after he'd left as Newcastle manager. Love going to watch Sunderland. Love going to watch Middlesbrough as well as Newcastle. And he talks about Sunderland fans coming up to him and shoving twenty pound notes, ten pound notes into his pocket for the foundation. But it's it's extraordinary to have somebody like that who who not only straddled the divide in the northeast, which is a very difficult thing to do, if not impossible, but how he like belongs to everybody. It's very, very powerful. That. I mean, I bought Ronaldo when Ronaldo was just on the way up. And then he caught you. We went like that, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Alan was already there. Yeah, yeah. We were buying. We were buying guarantee. Yeah. With Alan, yeah. with with Ronaldo, we were buying potential, potential. which was materialised, of course. But yeah, yeah. Alan was there, and the, the fellow could see that. And there's a piece in there as well about sort of sharing. It's it's a kind of it's all about sharing, isn't it? This this we all feel that 
we have we have Bobby. He's shared with us. His son Mark has written a piece in the in, yeah. the, in the fanzine as well about about sharing his dad, about how his dad belonged to everybody, and it's it's just it's so emotional. It's such a it's it's so generous as well. Firstly of Mark, but also of of Bobby to kind of to to be shared in that way and not let it not let it show on his face that that's annoying or not let it you know show in the in the way that he speaks at press conferences or spoke at press conferences. Um, I just, it is, it's it's been such a special thing to kind of be involved in and kind of, and see that side of it. But the the other thing, again, look, you know, there's a great piece from uh, Yusuf by Yusuf in it about Vancouver Royals. I mean, that was the very start of his managerial career. It was, uh, it wasn't the, it wasn't the best of starts, but already at that very early point in his managerial career, he won, he had that inquisitiveness, that curiosity, went abroad. And uh, did that, and Yusuf's piece is um, is fantastic. But it's that th- it's that breadth of mm. his life and his career. The way I describe it, he has a, he had a life of many lives. I mean, he started he started work. His his work was as an apprentice electrician in a coal mine, and he then had a full career as a player. Charlotte mentioned that we don't talk about that anymore. He it was something like six hundred appearances, senior appearances, twenty England caps. Nobody talks about that. And then what he did at Ipswich, 13 years at Ipswich, that's a story in itself, rebuilding that club from top to bottom, doing absolutely everything there, from signing players, coaching players, having the casting vote on whether they built a new stand, for God's sake, and, you know, to buying the toilet paper, as he put it. And then (laughs) eight years at England, there's a, there you go. And then still what he did in Europe as a manager is, you know, others have gone there and given it a go. Nobody has done what he did at the size of clubs, clubs that he did never bought an English player had a nibble for Alan Shearer <laughs> never bought an English player and never had an English coach with him I mean it's just, it's astonishing you know and you know the Newcastle the Newcastle side of it coming home is a is a kind of is a book in itself but he did so much and you know he did so much it's unparalleled yeah I totally agree and just that you know I think there's that famous story when he took over at Newcastle and played Chelsea away, I believe was the first game, and he yeah. he went yeah. into the dressing room and George, you might want to tell it better here than <laughs> I. So tell me, tell me if I'm mi- misphrasing him here, but I think he, uh, the first meeting in the dressing room, he just looked at the players, looked around the dressing room, and said, "You know, you lot probably think there's some quite good players in here, but let me pro- let me promise you, I have managed better players than every single one of you <laughs> in my career." <laughs> And then he said something probably which, you know, not to be broadcast type of thing. But I just that that is you could again, I come back to it being genuine. People mm. might think this is a strange thing, but there's so many bullshitters in football. Yeah. At the top level managers as well. I mean, look at the Southampton manager who's just been sacked and the things he said. He can't get away with that because he hasn't been there and done it. Bobby Robson had been to Barcelona, one of the biggest clubs in the world, won silverware. He'd been across Europe, done England. When he came to Newcastle United, big job. Big job. But he but he'd had bigger jobs in that that was, I think, really important in bringing about the unity that you talked about before and that Schroeder and Steve Harper and stuff talk about. Like, you, you've got to have walked the walk to do that, and he did it. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he, he also, it's a good, it's a, that's another like, nice little lesson in that he had this toughness about him. He, he was absolutely a tough man. I mean, I'm incredibly sentimental, and I'm very sentimental about, mm. about him and his memory, but he was a tough old bugger. He really was. You know, the first thing he did at Ipswich, he had a fist fight with two senior <laughs> senior players when he got there because they weren't doing what it, what they would you know what he wanted them to do and they were rebelling against his authority he had he had no I mean different era now but he took them on physically and um you know he had to do that and 
again, it's it's important to remember this. He was tough. You don't get to where you are, uh, don't get to where he was without having sharp elbows and without you know being able to impose himself. And he did. I think what people respected about him was his honesty, and it was it was that um, humanity. And so you know, you, there's lots of kind of famous funny stories, but you know, Steve Harper would say this. You know, he's out the team. Shea Givens kicked on. He hasn't wants to go out on loan. Full of fury, goes to see Bobby in his office, de- determined to go out on loan. And five minutes later, he's coming out feeling 10 foot tall, definitely wasn't going on loan anywhere. And then it's like, how's that just happened? I just do not understand how that's happened. He had this quality that made people feel better than themselves, but also he had that, he, he knew what sacrifice meant and he knew that you had to sacrifice uh, for the greater good. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that he carried that about him. Mark definitely through. touches on that, doesn't he, in his piece? I mean, as, a, as the son of Sir Bobby Robson, he, you know, he was... I don't want to say he was he was part of those sacrifices, right? You, your your dad's yeah. not there for for big holidays, Christmas. It's, Never it's, had a conversation with him about football. Yeah, 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 exactly that. And and it is it's it's really interesting. And yeah, there just there just isn't hasn't been anybody like it, has there? Let's talk a little bit about Bobby taking Newcastle into Europe, and um and and how that might have affected Newcastle fans and players for today. Alex, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, definitely, and and this is the thing that I referred to before about him making Newcastle United, um, well, both United, but also incredibly well respected. You know, Newcastle had been in the Champions League before; it didn't go very well. This, you know, this time it was different. Not only to take Newcastle into a Champions League second group stage as it was, it was then, he took Newcastle into a European semi final. I just wouldn't underestimate that very small period had on the club's appeal to players, to fans, to broadcasters. Like we owe him, him and Keegan, but we're talking about Robson. Yeah. So much for that period. And you know, I spoke to someone from Newcastle United recently who when the club went across to America, they said that um the the met a guy who who'd driven nine hours to go to a, a fan zone thing um and meet um Shearer and Steve Harper, I think was there. And the reason to support Newcastle United is because they'd seen Goal the movie. The only reason that those Hollywood <laughs> film insane. producers filmed Goal at Newcastle United is because it was Sir Bobby Robson's Newcastle United who were very good, had the fanatical fan base, and were, at the time, I'm sure, when they signed the contract, were a team on the up, full of world-class individuals. Mm-hmm. All of that is because of Sir Bobby Robson. It does not happen unless that man, who was still managing and still um, you know, prof- you know, working professionally, but he didn't have to take the Newcastle job. It was an absolute basket case, like George has said. It would have been easier to say no and, and, and ensure that reputation that he had as a great manager, and he took that job. And I just think, like, I keep coming back to everything that we think Newcastle United should be, the level that the club should aspire to comes from him, no one else. And that's an interesting thing as well, actually. That's that's put me in mind of something else that he says in in the recording. There's a there's a there's a kind of lovely moment where he's he's talking, and obviously this is very much during the Ashley era, not not too far into it, but he's he's basically saying, Well, it's all there. If you get the right manager and you've got the right owner, it's all there. You know, it's all there. And Newcastle should be in should be in the top four every season. That's what he thought of Newcastle. That's how he thought Newcastle should be. And that sort of level of ambition and aspiration is important because that's you know that was drummed out of us for a long, long mm. time. And you know, I think p- partly, ooh, you know, okay, really, you think you think you think you think that, but you know, he he was there. No, with 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 enough hard work and with the right people, 
Newcastle has the stature and the stadium, the fan base, fan base. to be there every single season. And he's right. And yeah, those Champions League nights were extraordinary. At that point, no other team had done what Newcastle did, which was to lose their first three games <laughs> and then still qualify from the first group stage. That I was at I was at the final, I was at all of those games, I think, or most of them. I was at Feyenoord, never, you know, my God, what a night that was that Newcastle qualified from that. Felt like a felt like a kind of cup final in itself. And then, you know, going to going to Barcelona, okay, that didn't you know, the, the result wasn't great, but um, going to the San Siro, taking the lead twice in the San Siro, tw- what, what was it, 10,000, 12,000 Newcastle fans that night making that noise? It felt like it felt like that's where Newcastle should be. It felt like Newcastle belonged there. And I think he gave that feeling to us. Now, you know, he then he then goes. And I think, you know, that's another part of it, actually. And it's, it's another thing that, that, that Shola and, and uh, Steve Harper say, that... It's the decline that happened after that and Mm. the fact that Newcastle have not been in the Champions League since then that sort of tells a story about what Bobby did and how he got everybody together and how he coalesced the club. I mean, it's 20 years since Newcastle have been in the Champions League and that was was Sir Bobby's time. Yeah, and one really quick point, um, touching this earlier, but Newcastle's owners at the time gave certainly Rude Hullet a lot of money. Mm, They gave Graeme Souness a fortune. But Bobby Robson, yeah, the, the one the one man who you wanted to back in the transfer market, comparatively and across his tenure, spent very little money on building that team. And it, again, to bring it back to modern day, it's a little bit Eddie Howe-esque, isn't it? Because Andy O'Brien wasn't a Champions League footballer. No. Yeah. Neither was Nikos Dabizas, neither was Aaron Hughes, neither were a host of players. Throw in Shea Given, there were lots of them who didn't really ever hit those heights the rest of their career but didn't look out of place playing in that side at that level in that competition and that's down to the his ability to improve footballers having one pitch at chesley street when he when he got there you know having no offices no administrative office he didn't have his own office and saying saying to the chairman this is appalling you know you've got to do something so he started that point in his life at the age of 66 he started building something again and again that's that's part of the stuff that i think gets played down they newcastle had to finish 11th twice and it was a struggle who was his first signing Kevin Gallagher, yeah. maybe half yeah, a million, was, was half a million. He was told there was nothing, and he says, you know, you know, the chairman said, well, there's no, there's no money, money. Okay, well, I need a bit of time then, because that's what it takes. He was always that proponent of time on the grass. That was one of his lovely phrases. Um, but it was just all about work. It was about work, starting all over again, and building and persuading them to to invest in a training ground, to start doing things properly. There was no there was no academy building, as he says, and that's what he was about. But, you know, it was based on it was based on hard work and getting and then getting the most out of people. And my father knew that I actually became manager of Newcastle United. He would not believe it. He'd been so proud. He did, he was a summer solid all the way to the games. <laughs> he, he really would. It's astonishingly resilient as well, isn't it? It's, it's hard work and getting the most out of people, but God, faced with that, most people would be like, you know what, fuck this, I'm, I'm out. Like, if it, there's one, there's one pitch here. I don't have an office. You're giving me no money. Like, wh- what, what do you expect me to do? A lot, a lot of managers, like, dare I say, most managers would be like, nah, I'm walking. But we also forget about England. You know, we have that, we have that kind of very sort of soppy memory about how England ended in 1990 with Gaza and the tears and the penalties and Bobby looking so sort of dignified and how that kind of carried through to all of us, but. Bobby 
you know, I remember those times. Bobby was at the center of the most vicious circulation war, newspaper circulation war in history. The 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 tabloid press in particular was not only brutal, but disgusting. It was mm. horrible. Mm-hmm. And he was right at the epicenter of that. Now, you can you've, we've seen so often how people have been finished off by the England job, and it's been tame compared to how it was back then. But he managed to get out of that. I mean, he managed to get out of that and didn't just stop. That's actually when mm. he went abroad and then, you know, did did all this incredible other things. He did have this resilience. He he was he was so badly affected by leaving Newcastle. It hurt him so much. It was like having his heart ripped out. But he didn't let that fester inside him. And he he had that quality that you could he could always bounce back. And he had this this, this amazing curiosity and inquisitiveness that I think, you know, pr- powered him through life. He, there was always something else to discover. There was always something else to do. And um, it, that was a kind of magical quality I think he had because I think most of us, as you say, would just be beaten yeah. down by it. And I think that's what is, you know, to sort of come to, towards the end of the show, I think that is typified maybe most of all by the foundation, isn't it? By being hit with the worst news possible um that and and then turning that into some the one of the most inspiring things you could possibly do something that uh, creating this legacy that is saving lives that is that is that is doing research that is you can't overstate the importance of the work that's being done by the Bobby Robson Foundation and it was it wasn't you know a lot of charities not to denigrate any other charity a lot of charities are set up by somebody who's affected by somebody near them this is him suffering this is him you know losing the battle if you want to use that kind of parlance and and still deciding i'm going to make something of this that's um, astonishing to me yeah i mean it was his oncologist that asked him to you know if he if he knew people or if he knew how Mm -hmm. to to kind of raise money the original five hundred thousand pounds you know so it was while he was getting treatment that he was asked about it and yeah threw himself into it like he did like he did with everything i mean it's a cliche now this uh, you know what he said, but it's it's true and it completely sums it up. He would say to Lady Elsie, "I've never been ill for a day in my life," and she would say to him, "Bobby, you've had cancer five times," yeah. and he would say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I suppose I have." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, when you put it like that, when you put it like that, yeah, well, yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. Amazing. But but, um, but that sort of that stayed, yeah, that stayed with him. And no, the foundation is doing you know absolutely incredible work, still is, and. This project, the whole Bobby 90 thing, what you've done um, and, and kind of what everybody else has done is that lovely reminder that just people don't say no to him. People still say yes to him. People who weren't alive, you know, when he was Newcastle manager, know who he is and want to be part of things. Everyone says yes to him. It's very powerful. And that, you know, that ultimately is his towering legacy, I think. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, feel incredibly privileged and I know that well, I don't want to speak for you, Alex, but I'm pretty sure you do to be part of this project. Um, I will plug the fanzine one last time as we round out the show. Thank you, George and Alex, for joining me this evening to, t- to talk through just the most spectacular person. Um, the fanzine will be available as you're listening. It, the link will be in the description to this show. All proceeds will go to the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, and I will evidence that on Twitter. I will make, you know, and and wherever I can, I will make sure that everybody's aware once we've sold out that we have we will make that donation. Um, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to you two, and take care.